0: Good morning! How are you all doing today? Awesome! Well, if this is your first time visiting Hosanna here, whether you're here in our sanctuary or if you're watching us online, we always like to say welcome to all of you. We're so glad you're here to worship with us today. I am Pastor Nathan, and this morning we're going to see three angels speak truths that many consider politically incorrect. You know, our modern culture has worked pretty aggressively to govern and dictate what people are or should be allowed and not allowed to say. And, um, you know, I, I would say, granted, there are many things that, that people can say that probably really shouldn't be, really unkind things, inappropriate things, wrong things. But when it comes to truth, truth is truth and that's a very important truth, okay? Truth is truth and sometimes truth, when spoken, can be very uncomfortable for people. Yes, anytime we're called to speak truth, we should employ tact and sensitivity and, and even you know, um, the idea of just being gentle when we speak hard truths, but sadly, much today that is true is now considered politically incorrect and thus it's just censored wholesale. It's censored by media control, it's censored by social media engineering, it's, social, or it's uh, controlled by canceling, it's controlled even by legislation, and that's only gonna get worse as time moves forward. The danger, however, comes uh, when we start to define what people should and shouldn't say in different circumstances based not out of a desire to maintain propriety, to maintain appropriateness, to maintain sensitivity, but out of a desire to outright deny and rewrite truth, simply because that truth offends somebody, simply because that truth is disagreed with. And I don't know if you would agree, but in today's society, I think the ability to dialogue when we disagree is under attack. People are trying to remove that. The ability to even point to medical science when it comes to dialogue about things is is being shouted down and and replaced with my feelings, replaced with my truth, replaced with I'm offended by truth, therefore actual truth should be changed and modified to fit my worldview. And being politically correct in lieu of actually correct has created a lot of serious issues, issues in our world today. Now, Truth be told, some restating of things can be humorous, right? In the, in the concept of trying to be uh, appropriate, you know, instead of bald, we might say you're follically challenged, right? Instead of calling someone old, we say they are chronologically experienced, right? Um, but some of the rewriting and redefining is dangerous. In our world today, instead of baby, It's more politically correct to say, no, it's just a fetus. It's just a clump of cells so that we don't offend when someone wants to murder that baby in the womb. Instead of male and female, we now live in a culture that is just infinitely inventing brand new genders, so we don't offend. And the result is an entire generation of serious mental health issues being ignored, being celebrated by many, A culture where minors are being medically mutilated by the very adults who are supposed to protect them. And then instead of the word, and this is the one that just really gets under my skin in our current culture, instead of the word pedophile, there is a push to change that to minor attracted person. To not offend, because after all, the culture we live in, if anybody can be with anybody they want, well, we can't discriminate. It's foul. Worst of all, because it affects eternity, is saying you can't say Jesus is the only way, the only truth, the only life. You can't say he is the only way to salvation. How offensive. How dare you suggest such a thing. You shouldn't even be allowed to say those things in the public square. And the result is let's take Christian prayer out of our public schools but put pornography in the libraries and call it progressive the world is dark. It's getting darker. And in the tribulation period, we're going to see today in Revelation chapter 14, three angels show up who don't care about what's politically correct. They simply don't care. They care more about what is spiritually correct. They come with a message from God to deliver to everybody on the earth, a message that is unpopular but true, a message that that Hits hard and deals and confronts, but is true. It's an event we're going to be looking at that has never happened before in the world up until this time in tribulation, where angels will appear to the world directly, visibly, audibly, and give a universal message that everybody on the planet will hear. Their message directly confronts the wrong thinking that the people of the world have at that time, And their message directly contradicts many of the philosophies and assumptions that mankind has today about man's origin, about Satan, about hell, about death and eternity. That's what we're going to be looking at today, so buckle up. But first, we're going to spend some time worshiping God because He is worthy. Our God is perfect. He is just. He is righteous. He is holy. And He deserves the praise and worship of all of His creation. And those of us that know Him and call Him Lord and Savior... What a great privilege and honor it is for us to worship Him. Amen? Let's pray. Father, Lord, we love You so much, and we thank You, God, for Your Word. Lord, we've been blessed and challenged, Lord, as we've been studying this revelation of Jesus Christ. Lord, as You gave John the Apostle this glimpse of what is to come in the future, Lord. God, it's been uh, both good and bad in, in ways, Lord. God, it is, it is hard to see what is coming, Lord, but it reveals Lord, just who you are, that in your perfection and your holiness, Lord, sin must be judged. And so, God, we live in a world today, Lord, that is, is trying to even move towards outlawing the very concept of identifying sin and pointing out sin, not to be difficult or unkind people, Lord, but to preach the gospel of salvation, that because of sin, salvation is necessary, and that salvation is found in Jesus Christ. Lord, we are still people here on this earth that are called to preach that gospel, to be a light on the hill, and I pray, God, that you would encourage us today, Lord, that although the truth of the gospel, the truth of what Scripture says is becoming increasingly more politically incorrect, that we wouldn't care about that because we're concerned with being spiritually correct, preaching the truth of who you are. Lord, we want to worship you now. We want to praise your name. We thank you, God, for our salvation. We thank you for saving our souls. We thank you for the hope of heaven. And God, we just want to praise you for all of that. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. But we are in Revelation chapter 14 today, and we are going to be continuing our study here looking at these three angels. you know I mentioned earlier that three angels are coming on the scene here through Revelation 14. And angels are very active throughout scripture. We see angels all over the place throughout the Bible. Um, They were present in the giving of the law back in the Old Testament when Moses got the law. Hebrews chapter 114 tells us this in the New Testament. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve those who are going to inherit salvation? And the answer to that question is, yeah, they are. The angels are active today in the church, ministering to those that, that, are, um, that belong to Jesus Christ, right? They're, they're active all around us all the time. Specifically in Revelation, we have seen um, angels very active. In fact, we're in Revelation chapter 14, and angels have been mentioned in every single chapter of Revelation except chapter 13. We've seen them active in God's plan, carrying out God's plan. We've seen angels ministering God's will. We've seen angels fighting demonic hordes and demon armies. We've seen angels even enacting the judgments and carrying out the judgments that are taking place during tribulation time. And now here in Revelation 14, starting in verse 6, they are announcing messages from God to the entire planet. And so read with me, starting in Revelation 14, verse 6. Then I saw another angel flying high overhead with the eternal gospel to announce to the inhabitants of the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. He spoke with a loud voice. Fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship the one who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. And so this is the first angel of the three we're looking at today. This first angel is a preacher. He is a preacher. He's proclaiming the message of the gospel. And he preaches, it tells us, from the skies above the earth. You see, in the beginning there, when he, John says, I saw another angel flying high overhead, that word flying means continuously flying. So he's like moving through the skies, and he's moving through the skies over the whole planet. That, that word or that phrase, high overhead, in the original language, it refers to Um, The zenith of the sky right at the highest point of the sky you would kind of select go high noon right when the when the sun is at the highest point Well, that's the idea here that the angel is high up in the sky flying throughout the earth broadcasting a message worldwide And the picture that gives us here is at this point in tribulation, we are now in the second half of tribulation as we have been looking at all these different things taking place with the Antichrist being revealed as this grotesque beast and his lackey following with him, the false prophet, and all that's been taking place here. This angel is now flying through the heaven, and the idea is that everybody is going to hear what this angel has to say. Everybody on the planet. Nobody will be able to get away from the message. They won't be able to walk away. They won't be able to change the channel. They won't be able to shut down the app. They won't be able to click off the video, right? They are going to hear what this angel is proclaiming. And, you know, throughout history, if you study history and church history specifically, um, you might see that, that there have been times when mankind was seemingly successful, in silencing God's preachers. You know, over the course of history, um, people that have proclaimed God's word have been vilified, they have been persecuted, they have been killed, they have been exiled. Today in our world, they get shadow banned across social media constantly, they get deplatformed as the social media platforms want to say, You no longer have an account here, and so your message is cut off. And then specifically during the tribulation period, many that are preaching gospel and proclaiming Jesus Christ as their Savior will be martyred, as we have seen throughout the um, study of Revelation, that they will be killed. And specifically during the last three and a half years of tribulation, there will be an active genocidal advance towards those who would dare proclaim Jesus, as we see that they are getting killed. Now, this Persecution, this worldly attempt to stop the message of the gospel going forth. Um, Paul experienced this. We see in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 9. Paul says, I suffer to the point of being bound like a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. You see, Paul was in jail for preaching the gospel. And in jail he, he didn't want to be in jail. He wanted to go out and preach. He wanted to go out and do what God had called him and equipped him to do. He wanted to go tell people about the hope that is found in Jesus Christ, the salvation available in Jesus Christ. Yet he says, I am bound like a criminal. I can't do what I need to do. But then he says this very, very important thing. But the word of God is not bound. There will never be a time when that statement is truer than during the tribulation period. When the world falls under a global government that hates God, hates Jesus, hates the gospel, when the world is controlled by a global one world religion that says everything else is permissible except Christianity, when the oppression is so thick, the world is gonna see that it doesn't matter. The word of God is not Bound. They'll see these angels flying through the sky, one of them specifically preaching the gospel, and there is nothing anybody can do to stop it. That's just a great encouragement, even today, right? It's it's somewhat unfortunate that today, when we have the freedom to go pass out tracts and we have the freedom to go share our faith with people, we have the freedom, at least from a legal standpoint. <laughs> To go up to someone and just be like, hey, can I, can I share Jesus with you? Or to say, hey, can I pray with you? And, and why would you want to pray with me? I'm a Christian. I believe that, that God answers, right? All of these ways that we might interact with people to share the hope that is in Jesus Christ, we live in a time where we can still do that actively, and, and so many of us don't. And, and, there, and there's all kinds of reasons for that. You know, sometimes we're just scared, and, and that's real. Right, I mean, I'll confess to you guys. Like, put me in a room in front of a thousand people. I could preach Jesus all day long. Put me one on one. Right? It's it's fearful. I still do it. I still hand out those tracks. I still do the thing. But but I but I get it. You know. Um, ironically, we were at a men's conference yesterday, uh, the Calvary Chapel SoCal men's conference. It was it was amazing. If you missed it, um, just don't miss the next one. It was it was great. But. At all of these events, there's always some person, I want to be kind, that is out there protesting the Christian event as a Christian, all right? You see it at Harvest Crusade sometimes, and there's this guy out there with a megaphone yelling at all the Christians, all the guys that are at this men's conference to be encouraged and, and, and edified in the Lord and in, in their walk. He's out there on the megaphone screaming out that evangelism uh, needs to be done, the church needs to be doing evangelism, but evangelism, biblical evangelism, <clears throat> is only one-on-one conversations. That is it, and that is only what it is. And then he goes, and what I'm doing is evangelism. While you're yelling at the crowds through a megaphone. <laughs> um, pray for that individual. So, uh, but the Word of God is never going to be bound. And yes, there is truth that God's word will go out even if you don't do it. But that's disobedience if God's calling you to do it. And disobedience is not okay. But the idea is that there's this time when when the oppression, oppression that we don't even fathom right now, like when it's not just like, oh, the person might get mad at me, they might spit in my face, they might yell at me. But no, 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 you'll get put in jail and you'll get killed for proclaiming the gospel during this time. There's still angels flying through the sky proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. And incidentally, as I mentioned in our intro, this is a unique event. This is something that has never happened up to this point, angels preaching the gospel. It's a very unique event. You see, um, we, we, we don't see angels preaching the gospel anywhere in scripture until this point. I'm sure they've wanted to, right? I'm sure there's been times where we're standing in the line at the grocery store and God, the Holy Spirit is going, hey, give that person a track." And the angels are like, yeah, this is awesome, watch this. And you're going, uh-uh, uh-uh, nope, not going to do it. And the angels are just like, get out of the way, let me do it, right? I'm sure there's times like that. Um, but, but the angels, that, that's not their call. That, that's our call, right? I mean, in the book of Acts, there's a story in the book of Acts where there was this man named Cornelius, and it tells us that he was praying every day. And he was praying, and he wants to know who God is, and he wants to know the truth of of, of God and salvation. And he's praying, and he's praying. And in that story in Acts, it says an angel appears to him and tells him, Cornelius, this is what I want you to do. Send some guys to Joppa and ask for a guy named Peter. And tell your guys to ask Peter, come back with us to our master, and then Peter will tell you what to do, Cornelius. Now, here's the question. Why didn't the angel just tell Cornelius the gospel right then and there? How effective would that have been, right? God, I really wanna know you, angel with wings. Let me preach the gospel, I'm saved. You had me at, you just arrived with, a, with feathery wings, right? But no, he says go tell Peter to come. Right, this whole process. Now yes, we know that God was doing a work in Peter's life and teaching Peter some things but but why didn't the angel just preach the gospel to cornelius because that's not the task of angels at least right now that's not the task of angels it's the task of men and women you and me who have met jesus christ had our lives transformed it's our task now now here in revelation 14 at the last half of tribulation period yeah we see that the angels are now getting the opportunity to preach the gospel but Remember that the next time you 're wondering as, as as Rick was sharing, I, should I hand this track to this person no don 't do it. remember that it's it 's your task it 's not the angel 's task it 's our call as the people of God. So what does this angel preach? It tells us that the angel preaches the eternal Gospel. That's a phrase that simply means the good news, the gospel that has always been preached and will always be true. That's what it means by the eternal gospel. There is never a time and never will be a time where the gospel is false. The gospel that God has revealed. There are false gospels out there, but the one we know and learn from the Word of God, it will always be true. It's the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel who he is. He is God in the flesh. What he did, lived a perfect life, went to the sin, uh, went to the sin, went to the cross to die for sin, to pay the price for our sin as a perfect sacrifice, the perfect atonement. And then he went into the grave and he was risen from the grave three days later. It means it's, it's, it's the whole message of salvation and hope and the only way, the only truth, the only life. That's the gospel we preach. It's not that Jesus is one of the ways. No, he's the only way. And doesn't that make people upset when we say that? Well, my version of Jesus, and then you let him continue, and then if you have a relationship, you go, is fake. (laughs) There is no your version of Jesus. There is only the revealed Jesus in God's word. And so, it's about faith in Christ. It's about his death for you. It's about him being the atonement for your sin, paying your penalty for breaking the law, right? The gospel, that truth never changes. That truth never will change. He is the only way to salvation. He is the only way to the Father. There is salvation in none other but Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, who died for you and me on the cross, the glorious gospel. Now, He brought this eternal gospel, and it says he announced it to the inhabitants of the earth. That word announce is where we get the concept of preaching, right? It's the idea of declaring its proclamation. It literally means to bring good news. And so the angel is flying through the skies of earth saying forgiveness is still available. Salvation is still available in Jesus Christ, right? This is what the angel is saying. And then it says that he was announcing this to the inhabitants of the earth, And then it defines those inhabitants as every nation, every tribe, language, and people. Now, that phrase, we've seen it a few times in Revelation, and it's often a phrase that means everybody on the planet, right? Um, To break it down, that word nation in the original language is ethnos. We get our English term ethnic group from this. So it's every ethnicity. The word tribe is a word that that, uh, refers to people groups, as defined by their governance or national identity, right? So you would say Americans or you know, South Americans or, or Russians, you know the idea there. Language that word literally means dialects. And so it's saying people groups as defined by, um, by the dialect of their language, because we know that even within a nation, you could have different cultural people groups, different divisions of groups by, based on the dialect of the language they speak. And then it says people, and that word in the original language means people groups defined by cultural or geographical ties. Sometimes there are people groups that straddle boundaries of nations, right? But they identify as one people group. And so, so the word here is making sure we understand that it includes everybody. Everybody, every ethnicity, no matter where they live, no matter what their national identity, no matter the distinctions by culture or dialect, every single person on earth at this time is going to hear this announcement of the good news from this angel. And it's like God making one last final attempt to reach the world. Right As we've been studying through tribulation, the judgments are being poured out. In a, in a very real way, they're escalating. They're getting worse and more devastating and more dramatic. And when we get to the bold judgments, wow, we're going to see just how destructive those final seven judgments are. And in a way, it's almost like God being like, I'm judging sin, but he's holding back just a little bit so that people would get saved and just a little bit, right? Saying through the whole thing, look, the time has come, and we're going to see that here in a moment in the verses, where the full power of God's wrath is poured out. But there's one last opportunity, and this is always the heart of God, to give you one last opportunity to get saved. He wants to save your soul. That's his heart. That's his his mission. He's just, and being just, he must judge sin and those who commit it. But right before he pours out these final judgments, the bowls that we're going to look at in chapters 15 and 16 of Revelation, this final gospel message goes out, this final invitation, this final opportunity to repent, to change, to be just cleansed by God. If you think about it, at this point in tribulation, the world has already rejected the 144,000 and their evangelism. The world has rejected the two witnesses in Jerusalem and all their their miraculous signs they were doing. The world even celebrated, had a national holiday when the Antichrist murdered those two witnesses. And now there's an actual angel flying through the sky, visible and audible to every single person on earth. This tells us something very important, that the gospel is for everyone. The gospel is for everyone. Some like point to Christianity at times and go, oh, Christianity is just a Western religion, right? it's only for the united states but but jesus said for god so loved the world all of it that world that that word world there literally is referring to everything in god's creation god god loved every everything he created every person every one of us he loved us so much The gospel isn't just for the West. It's not just for America. It's not just for this ethnicity. It's not just a a white religion or a black religion or an Asian. it's, It's not any of that. The gospel is for everybody of every culture, regardless of where they live on planet Earth. The gospel is for everyone. Jesus said to his disciples, go into the whole world and make disciples of all nations. That's everybody. After his resurrection in Mark 16, 15, Jesus said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. That's everybody. And it's the eternal gospel because it's forever. It's good news for everyone through all time. The the gospel isn't just for this area of history or this era of history. It's for everybody of all time. And it's the commission of the disciples, and it's the commission of the church today that the gospel goes out to everyone. That's why I'm bringing Rick up here every week to to just walk you guys through gospels. Try this one. Try this one. Try this one. Try something. Do something. Not all of us have the the personality to go out and, and stand on a soapbox. Some of us do. Praise God for that. But we're all called to be a part of the work of evangelism in the church because the gospel is for everybody. And really what that says to us is the cure for sin is the same for all regardless of ethnicity, of culture, of nationality, of language spoken. The cure for sin is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Salvation through faith in his death and resurrection. That's why the church sends out missionaries I'm object. Why does the church send people to another culture and try to push their religion on them? Because sin's in that culture too. And the cure for sin is the same. Jesus Christ. So, included in this eternal gospel is a call to worship God as the creator. Verse 7, read with me. It says, He spoke with a loud voice, fear God and give Him glory because the hour of His judgment has come. Worship the one who has made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. What's interesting is often in Scripture, we see that, that when those who are preaching God approach the pagan world, they often do it from the point of view, or they start. The starting point is is God is creator. That's, that's a, a familiar trend. When Paul went to Athens, and he went to that place where they had statues to every God they could think of, and then Paul saw that they even had a statue to the unknown God, Right? That's worldly spirituality. We're gonna invent infinite gods, and then just in case we missed one, we'll have a statue to him, too. And what did Paul say there? I wanna speak to you about the God who created heaven and earth. Right, he approached from this point of view. Now, why do we see this? Why why is this often the starting point when we see um, preachers and evangelists going out and sharing their faith? They start with God created everything. I think it's because of the foundational question that every human being has. The foundational question I think every human being has when they look around, they go, where did this all come from? Then they go, what's the purpose of all of this? And then that naturally leads to, where did I come from? What's my purpose? Why do I exist? And the reality is, is God created everything. It says here, God created the heaven and the earth and the sea and the springs of water, saying everything you see is his. He made it. It belongs to him. And what that means is everything in it also belongs to him, which includes you and me. We are God's creation. And all glory and all worship and all praise and all adoration, it's due to him and him alone as creator. Glory is not for us. It's not to us. It's not for our pride, our ego. It's not to to the gods of our own creation. It's not to strange philosophies and wrong assumptions. It's to God Almighty, the creator of the universe. And one of the biggest lies that that has perpetrated mankind for centuries at this point is this idea that, that, that things just evolved, right? Our society kind of grew out of gods and superstitions and and we became a scientific knowledgeable culture and we understood that no we just evolved and randomly came to be through accidents of accidents and that was a great lie of the devil because it perpetrated the idea that you know ultimately nothing matters there is no right there is no wrong there is no truth there is no false there is no morality because why well whatever one can think up If we just evolved and there's no purpose, then whatever one can think up must be permissible because suggesting that whatever anybody wants to do is right or wrong assumes that there's a standard to measure against. And if we were just accidents of evolution, there is no standard. And we see that humanistic thinking in our world today, and we've seen it for a long time. The angel here is directly confronting the wrong thinking of a lost and deluded mankind, a politically correct mankind. And the angel's saying, Let me take your political correctness and throw it out the window. Jesus is the one to be worshiped God. He is God, the creator, and He is the only way to salvation. And He's emphasizing that fact that there is a creator. And he did create and define right and wrong and true and false and moral and immoral. And because he's the creator of all things, he has the authority to judge all things. That word judgment it uses there, because the hour of his judgment has come, that word judgment means a legal determination of right and wrong. A legal determination. The one who started it all as creator is the one who has the legal right to end it all as judge. And that is part of the message that we take to people. And so what does the angel say here? So fear God and give him glory. That word fear means to to grant great reverence or respect. Why? Because final judgment is about to fall. And so this angel is out there flying around saying, you can be saved still, but only through the terms of the eternal gospel. Salvation is only through faith in Jesus Christ, which is a direct contradiction to the philosophies and assumptions that mankind has today and will have even more strongly then. So verse 8, we get to the second angel. It says, And another, a second angel followed, saying, It has fallen. Babylon the great has fallen. She made the nations drink the wine of her sexual immorality, which brings wrath. So we see a second angel following the first the idea is there that the angel is also flying through the skies around the globe and announcing for the whole world to hear, Babylon has fallen. Now again, this statement here is, is much like the, the first part of Revelation 14. This is a glance to the end of the tribulation period. This is a glance to the very end where everything is being wrapped up. And so he's saying, look, Babylon has fallen. Everything it's about In the big picture of eternity, God wins. It may look like Babylon is having success right in this moment, but in the big picture, God wins. And so the first angel gave an invitation to salvation before the bold judgments fall on the earth. This angel is not preaching the gospel. There's no invitation here. It's simply a declaration of fact. Babylon the Great has fallen. So what is the angel referring to here? Well, in Revelation 17 and 18, when we get here, um, we're gonna see a very lengthy description of what Babylon the Great is. To summarize, Babylon the Great is pictured as a, or is presented as a city that is pictured as a promiscuous woman, a prostitute, a harlot, okay? And so, when you look at uh, Babylon the Great in Revelation 17 and 18, this picture, this city being, 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 um, pictured as this promiscuous woman, it could be referring to, um, and I believe it's referring to an actual rebuilt city of Babylon, Babylon that is a, a, a headquarters of just grave immorality. And that's actually coming to pass. There's this thing called the World Monument Fund. It's an independent organization that exists to, quote, safeguard the world's most treasured places. In 2008, the World Monument Fund started the Future of Babylon Project. And this project was to document, assess, and develop conservation plans for ancient Babylon in Iraq. In July 5th, 2019, this was just a few years back, Babylon as a city was officially inscribed on the United Nations Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organization World Heritage List. They're rebuilding it. Now, some of you remember back when Saddam Hussein started rebuilding it, and, of course, Bible scholars got all excited at that point. Ooh, Babylon's coming back, right? And then he didn't. And others have taken up that cause. So far, you can actually go see it there today, they have rebuilt an ancient statue of a lion trampling a man called the Lion of Babylon, right? Super family-friendly attraction there. Um, they've rebuilt what's called the Ishtar Gate, which is this large double gate that was uh, led into the inner city of Babylon. This gate was actually said to be built by Nebuchadnezzar himself. And what's in progress, what they're still working on as of today is the Ninmach Temple, which was a temple to the mother goddess worship that took place all the way back in ancient Mesopotamia. The mother goddess, what do we call that today? Mother Earth, Gaia. So in Revelation 17 and 18, um, as I said, this city is pictured as this woman. And so this woman is not only representative of the city itself, but she's also representative of the entire debauched system of depravity of the end times that that this city is, is a headquarters of. So... And and that's kind of the picture that we saw in Revelation 13. Much like the first beast in Revelation 13 represented both the Antichrist as an individual and the government that he led, this woman here represents, or the woman in Revelation 17 and 18 represents the actual city of Babylon and the foul world system that that city is head head of. And so that's the whole economic system of oppression, the persecution of believers, the whole ideology and philosophy of it. So the picture we see in the end times is while worship of the beast is largely going to be headquartered in Jerusalem in the Jewish temple that the Antichrist goes and sits in and desecrates during the abomination of desolation, the governmental and economic and cultural control of earth will likely be headquartered in a rebuilt Babylon. And this is very interesting because in Daniel's vision of the end times in the book of Daniel, Um, His visions came during the reign of King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. (laughs) So it's a very interesting connection there. So all that to say that Babylon the Great that it's referring to here, that Babylon the Great has fallen is a collective reference to the entire cultural and political system and the city that the whole thing is governed from. And so the angel is declaring all of this has fallen. Now notice the accusation in the declaration here. She has made all the nations drink the wine of her sexual immorality, which brings wrath. If you were with us last week in the first part of Revelation 14, we looked at the 144,000 that had been sealed with the seal of God, and we talked about how these 144,000 were specifically pointed out as having maintained their purity during this time. They maintained their purity in contrast to the sexual perversions that are likely going to be a part of the world worship at that time, that they kept their purity and all that, but the rest of the world, it says, drank the wine of her sexual immorality. When it says all the nations there, it's it's literally referring to the, this world system is going to be global, and this world system literally deceives and intoxicates the entire planet. We see glimpses of that, and it's already been referenced in the Scripture in 1 John 5, where it said the whole world is under the sway of the evil one. Right now, it's a little more subtle. The devil is not trying to outwardly and overtly say, I'm the devil, worship me as God, which is going to take place during tribulation times. And, but we do see that even in our time, the world is under the sway, the influence of the evil one. And the world's simply going to continue on this path, and it's going to get worse and worse and end up with a united world system of perversion and sin and impurity. Now, this combats a thought that, that some have, that they say, well, you know, if the majority believes something, that must be right. Have you ever heard that or thought that? Um, It's easy to think of in in our system of democracy, right, when when we vote and, you know, the idea is like, well, if more people vote for this than this, then this should win, right? Um, But that concept isn't true across the board. Just because the majority thinks something is true doesn't mean it is. Just because the majority might say something is politically correct doesn't mean it's spiritually correct. And we have plenty of examples of that throughout Scripture. You remember Moses sent 12 spies into the promised land. Ten came back and said, impossible, there's no way we can take that land. There's no way we could live there. They were the majority. It was only two of them, Joshua and Caleb, that's like, we could take the land. God's with us. And the minority ended up being right. Israel did take the land. You might remember in Jerusalem when Jesus Christ was to be crucified, it was the majority that were saying, crucify him. They were wrong. The majority of scientists were wrong when they once believed that the earth was flat. So, moving on. We've had an invitation from one angel. We had a declaration from another angel. Now we have an admonition from the third angel. Verse 9. And another, a third angel, followed them and spoke with a loud voice. If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he will also drink the wine of God's wrath, which is poured full strength in the cup of his anger. He will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the sight of the holy angels in the sight of the Lamb, and the smoke of their torment will go up forever and ever. There is no rest day or night for those who worship the beast and its image or anyone who receives the mark of its name. Wow. That's heavy. This third angel is not preaching the gospel. He's not saying there's still opportunity to be saved. He's not declaring the fate of this anti-God, anti-Christ world system. He's warning about the damnation for all those who choose the wrong team, who choose the wrong thing. He's warning about the damnation to come for those who worship the beast and the, anti- the, be- the beast who is the antichrist. Now it's interesting, the way this is worded, the angel seems to be pointing out a conscious decision that that people will have to make. The idea here is is one will choose to worship the beast and reject Jesus. They will choose to receive the mark of the beast and reject salvation in Christ. The idea is it indicates that there's there's not going to be at the end of tribulation anybody going, I, I, I wasn't really worshiping the beast. I didn't know that it was worship. I wasn't really following Him. Those who choose to bow to the image, those who choose to take the mark will never be able to say, I didn't mean to. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know what it meant. That at the end of the tribulation period, there will be clarity. There will be understanding at what worshiping the beast is and means. There will be clarity and understanding at what taking the mark means. And by doing so, we'll consign those who do it to damnation, and there will be no blaming God for it. Yes, there will be deception during the end times. Yes, there will be lies put forth by the Antichrist and the false prophet. But again, we've already mentioned it. There was 144,000 Jewish evangelists preaching the gospel the whole time. There was two witnesses and their miraculous signs. And then for heaven's sake you had an angel fly through the sky preaching the gospel. What excuse do you have? And so this third angel is saying, if you insist and persist in rejecting Jesus Christ, if you insist in participating in the immorality of this world system, if you insist in drinking of the wine of Babylon the Great, then you will have no excuse and you will drink the wine of God's wrath, His judgment. And the destiny of of those who reject Jesus during the tribulation period, it's it's the same destiny if you reject him today. It's the same destiny. God's judgment will fall. It will be hell forever. Judgment forever. Notice there, It said that he, the the wine um, of his wrath, he said, drink the wine of God's wrath, which is poured full strength into the cup of his anger. This is a wine metaphor obviously we're talking about wine but the idea is that in ancient times the water was so terrible that they would often mix wine with the water to kill the germs that were in the water but it was very diluted you know it was it was still mostly water but the idea here is he's going look the judgment will no longer be diluted it will not be watered down it will be full strength and what does that tell us about hell and judgment Well, he says here, the the judgment, they'll be tormented with fire and sulfur, and the smoke of torment will go up forever and ever, and there'll be no rest day or night. This contradicts another false assumption that the world has today and people try and put forth. There is no hell. Hell is not real. Some cults even say that, Jehovah's Witnesses. There's God, and then there's you cease to exist. And I told one once, I go, if there's no consequence for sin, why do I want your God? I could just live a life in sin and then poof, out of existence with no judgment. And they couldn't give me an answer. (laughs) People say hell is not real. People say hell is just a metaphor. People say hell is what you experience here on earth. But the Bible is very clear that hell is real. And of all the things that these three angels are proclaiming, this is the one that people seem to have the hardest time with. You see, it's one thing to say to someone, Jesus loves you and wants to have a relationship with you. And people go, oh, that's nice. I'm not in the market for a relationship right now. But it's something entirely different to say, look, if you don't put your faith in Jesus and repent of your sin and be saved, you will be judged. Whoa, whoa. Don't say that. How offensive. That's not very nice to say. And there are many churches in the world today, incidentally, that they just want to talk about all the blessings that Jesus gives like he's just a cosmic vending machine there to kick out goodies whenever we want to ask. But they never mention the truth of rejecting him or living in willful, regular disobedience to him. They only want to mention Jesus as a a potential supplemental addition to your otherwise okay life. Rather than who he is, a holy, righteous creator that we have sinned against whom as holy, righteous judge will rightfully find us guilty and condemn us as guilty sinners unless we receive the free gift of salvation. We receive the free gift of forgiveness and salvation by receiving and submitting our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. And people don't like hearing that message. They don't like hearing that judgment will come for their actions. But hell is real. Jesus spoke of hell more than any other person in Scripture. To the hypocrites, Jesus said, Depart from me, you who are cursed into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Jesus said, Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who is able to destroy both. Jesus described hell as a place of unending fire and wailing and gnashing of teeth. It's a horrible fate for those who don't know Jesus Christ. And that's why sometimes we talk about like Lord give me a heart for the lost because that 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 care and concern for their fate is often the motivator that causes us to say I'm I'm a little nervous I'm scared but hey I want to give this to you will you read it. Well what is it? it, it it's a g- g- gospel tract. Gospel tract. Jesus changed my life. I just want to share that with you. God bless you, right? Because without Christ, it's eternity in hell, torment forever. Now, he goes on in verse 12. He says, this calls for endurance from the saints who keep God's commands and their faith in Jesus. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying, right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit. So they will rest from their labors since their works follow them. Now, these saints here are the same saints that are referenced in Revelation uh, or, yeah, Revelation 13.10. I believe the saints uh, that are referenced here when he says this calls from endurance from the saints, these are the tribulation saints. These are people who have given their life to Jesus Christ during the tribulation period. During the seven-year period, those who are saved through the preaching of the 144,000, the witness of the two witnesses, and then, of course, those getting saved and telling others about their faith. These are people who have gotten saved during this time. And he says this calls for endurance. Why? Because they're under heavy persecution like the world has never seen. They're under heavy, heavy violence for their faith that the world has never seen before. But notice the contrast between the followers of the beast and those who die in the Lord. The followers of the beast, we read, are tormented forever and ever with no rest. But the followers of Jesus, it says, they will rest. They will rest. Yes, those who follow Jesus during the tribulation period will suffer persecution like never seen on earth before, and many will die violent, horrible deaths, murders for their faith after laboring to remain faithful during this time of debauchery. But in the end, they will rest. They will be at peace. They will be blessed, it says here. That word blessed, you've heard it said, means, oh, how happy. It means to be envied, to be filled with an inner satisfaction where people would go, man, you're just, everything is so great, right, blessed. And you might think, well, how is dying in the Lord? How is dying a violent death in the Lord blessed? It's because the perspective needs a shift to eternity. When we look at the eternal picture, they died with promise. They died with hope. When we look at the eternal picture, we see that they are experiencing what Paul said, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord and how glorious that will be. Man stops with the outward appearance and the outward circumstance. We're so narrow focused sometimes and we only look at what's in front of us and we don't zoom out to see the big picture. But God who lives on the other side of the time-space continuum sees the rest that is available to those who would call Him Lord and Savior. He sees the reward of the righteous, the resurrection of the body, the glory, and the bliss of the heavenly kingdom. So, yes, the Spirit says, yes, they are indeed blessed because they are with the Lord forevermore. So, I'll close with this last story. I, I read a story about a pastor who once approached a, a man who had lost his wife, and the pastor was like, I'm, I'm so sorry for your loss. And this man looked up at the pastor and he goes, You're wrong. You don't lose something when you know where it is. There's no loss. They just moved, and I haven't moved yet. You know, when you lose someone in the Lord, they're not really dead. But rather, I think they're really actually finally fully alive. They won. (laughs) They beat us there. They're already there. And, you know, when my time comes, I don't want anybody saying, oh, Nathan has died. He's gone forever. Please don't say that. What I want you to say is, he moved! And if you know the Lord too, I'll see him later. I'll see him later. This is the reality of death in the life of a Christian, right? You guys have heard it many times, the greatest statistic ever. One out of one people will die. Right? Nobody makes it out of this life without dying. We're all going to come to the end of this mortal coil, this physical life we have here. And if the Lord doesn't come back in our lifetime, every single one of us are going to face death. It's inevitable. The question for this life here on earth is not, will I die? The question is, will I die in the Lord or will I die apart from the Lord? That's the question. Will you be blessed? as the Spirit says of these who died in the Lord, or will you be cursed like those who don't know Jesus, looking to hell forever? You know, it's, it's sad how so many live their lives apart from Jesus, and they pay no attention to God at all, and they don't believe in Him at all, and they deny Him. But, but when, when they pass, people want to be like, oh, they're, they're in a better place. And that's really hard because the truth is they're not. And it's heartbreaking. Oh, they're in a better place. They they rejected Jesus. And here's the truth: if you want nothing to do with Jesus in this life, he is not gonna force you to live with him forever. But the alternative to Jesus is hell. And that's the admonition and the warning: is that without him, even today, judgment will fall upon you. And it will be perfectly right and it will be perfectly appropriate, and it will be perfectly just. That may not be politically correct to say in the world today, but it is spiritually correct. And it's the message we need to carry out. However, if you are in the Lord in this life, If your loved ones that have passed were in the Lord in this life, forgiveness is theirs. Forgiveness is already yours. The penalty of sin has already been paid. Forever in heaven awaits in the presence of God, your creator, Jesus Christ, the lover of your soul. Hallelujah. We have something great to look forward to. So take heart, Christian. As bad as things may seem at times, heaven awaits. Take heart, Christian, for those who have lost those dear to them. Your loved ones are in heaven waiting for you to get there. And when you get there, you will see them again. And they will smile and embrace you. And you guys will together worship God forever. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And God, we 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 can't wait to be with you. Lord, there's so much in this world that is that is disheartening and dark and evil and wicked. And Lord, we just we want to be with you in paradise forever. We want to be with you in perfection and glory. Looking into your faith, your face and nothing else for eternity, God. Just the, the glory, the love, the the all that you are. And Lord, for those of us that know You as our Lord and Savior, that is what awaits us. But God, there are some that don't know You. And what awaits them is judgment. While we're praying right now with heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're in this room and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, maybe you went forward at an altar call at some point. Maybe you prayed a prayer. but, But in your heart of hearts, you know you know, I've I've never changed. God's not really my Lord. If you're online and I'm describing you, Jesus wants you to know Him. To be saved from the judgment that will fall upon sin. And so if you know you need Christ today, I just want you to pray this prayer with me. Say, Father God, I know I've sinned against You. I know I've broken Your law. Lord, I want to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I am saved, sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. That when I die, I know I'm going to heaven. Lord, save my soul. Be my Lord and Master. Be my Savior. Be my friend. Teach me how to live for you. Fill me with the Holy Spirit that I would live in obedience to you. Give me a heart for those that don't yet know you that I would share the gospel, the hope, the salvation I have now with them as well. Thank you for loving me so much. Thank you for coming into my life. Thank you for dying for me. Use me as a vessel to share that with others. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, God bless you guys. I pray the Lord would give you many opportunities as we're providing tracks and stuff for you guys. I'm I'm excited every time I hear a story, especially those of you that may have never done it. It's like, I handed out a track. Praise God, how cool. How cool. You know, one brother here, uh, a year ago, we did a track challenge, right? And at that time, he's like, I didn't pass out tracks. I didn't do any of that. The guy's like a raging fireball of the gospel now, just (laughs) preaching everywhere he goes. And and it's just like, man, how cool is that to see that God would use us as much as we give ourselves to him. And he will fill you and equip you and teach you and, and do all of it. But what's behind all of that is such a deep gratitude For the salvation he gave you. That he gave me. That we can't help but to tell others about it. That they would be saved too. Amen? Let's worship God for what he's done. Let's praise him for who he is. And give him our thanks. God bless you guys.